New Year. This is Edgar Otraves, and welcome to another installment of the Flow Roll Podcast. Now, once again, I call this an installment only because this is not an actual episode. It is another remix. We're going to call this one Flow Roll Remix Volume 2. Now, if you're new to the show, make sure you check out our website, theflowrollpodcast.com, where we have a complete catalog of all our episodes and a store where you could purchase merchandise. Or if you just want to donate to the podcast, you can do so all at our website. Again, that URL is theflowrollpodcast.com. So in this installment, me and the guys are going to be breaking down movies and we're going to talk about the symbolism in some of these movies. So I've collected some of the more interesting conversations that we've had in past episodes. This first edit comes from episode 12, and it's the must-see horror movies episode. And in the following conversation, it's me and my co-host, not my cousin Dan, and we're talking about RoboCop. I call this snippet, The Horrors of Privatization. So I hope you like this. Now on with the show. Well, you know? Also, like, wasn't RoboCop also like a like commentary on like privatized policing? Like, Absolutely, a hundred percent. It was all about privatized policing, privatized prisons. It was absolutely all about that. Huge, and, and like that was like the big one of the big plot points. RoboCop was made by this private company called OCP. You know, and but OCP was like a mega corporation that owned everything. It owned the city of Detroit. Jesus. The Christ. entire city of Detroit was privatized, right? Yeah. The police force was privatized. Prisons were privatized. Like, and the whole movie is basically just like excoriating the whole idea of this is what happens when like, like unbridled privatization, just giving, basically giving away, you know, people, people, complain about giving away their rights to the government. Meanwhile, they're 100% comfortable giving away their rights to some giant corporation, you know? Yeah. And, and like, no, I, I don't think they're, as far as I know, not in the U.S., but actually in, like, China, or not so much China, but, like, in, in Africa, uh, there are tons of towns and highways and road systems literally owned by Chinese and Russian corporations. Yeah. Literally owned by Coca-Cola and Nestle. They own the towns. The school is furnished by Coca-Cola, you know? Um, and and so it's like, yeah, welcome to reality. This is this is where we're living now. You know, maybe maybe not necessarily in the US, but if it's if it's starting, well, I mean it, it starting is is wrong i mean obviously that sort of privatization has been going on for decades if not centuries like the yeah. entire the entire country of costa rica used to be owned uh i think by del monte jesus right? christ are you serious yes i like didn't know the, the entire country it, like it, it used to be banana and pineapple plantation a country right and and you know uh, that, that may be an exaggeration, but not too far off from the truth. Yeah. And, and so, and I mean, that was like in the earlier part of the 20th century, probably late part of the 19th century. But anyway, the point is like, this is it, it, the, the movie is like a, a, just a huge social commentary on that, on the yeah. whole phenomenon of handing everything in your life over to big corporations and including your body 
including your body and for the first half of the movie, your mind. Your mind, because there right. is a part where he can't control himself, right? Right. Yep. Or they, they, well, wipe there's him. a there's, at the be they they wipe his memory and he has no personality or anything like that. And yeah. He starts to kind of rediscover nuggets of it, and, mm. and then he electrocutes himself, and it comes and, back. Well, one of the things that, but I think that's part of what saves him because I think yeah, uh, yeah. The other versions they tried this before he came along, before Uh-oh. the that particular uh, uh, character that became the RoboCop. They tried him before. They tried yeah. to make him before, but they all failed because they psychic the 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 psychology of it. The yeah. men, they would have mental breakdowns and they they would self destruct. Yep. Yep. They would and kill so, themselves. And so yeah, so they completely wipe his memory. You know. Mm. <clears throat> <clears throat> so here, let me, but, uh, let me, oh, oh, go ahead and finish your thought. No, but uh, just one thought on the, you know, that whole kind of privatization narrative and it, like, dude, sit back and, and look, look, look at between Apple and Google and Facebook. Yeah. Our data. I mean, like we're, we're one step away from becoming, you know, the federated oil and data conglomerate as opposed to the United States of America, right? Like we are, it is, it is not like a dystopian fantasy, like they own us, you know? Well, well, wait until, wait until like people like Elon Musk decide that, that it's necessary because he's talking about it now, getting some kind of I don't know, like some kind of connection that makes processing faster. So you like, for example, yeah, uh, you know, you, you can connect to your computer. You don't have to like type. You can just send thoughts into your machine. The moment that yep. becomes necessary to have a job, it's don't, over. No, there's, there's, you, you don't even have control over the privacy of what you think about in your own head anymore. Exactly. So like, there, that, like what you're talking about, um, basically ownership of your own mind and body, like, because that's what it is. Privatized everything, everything, yeah. everything is owned by someone else. And the yep. worst part about it is RoboCop isn't really, and I'm just thinking out loud here, but RoboCop isn't really a hero. He's a victim of privatization yeah. and yes. he's, not, he's not even someone that survives and 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 fights back privatization. He 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 is he is one with yeah. with with what he's become. Right? Yep. Right. He is, he is a robot that's built by someone else, maintained by someone else. Yep. But uh, has his own will and can act with his own thoughts, but unfortunately, with other people's equipment. But uh, uh, yeah, and he's always, no matter what, no matter what level of independence, he's always going to be stuck to the system. Exactly. Until he dies. Which he may never die because he's a cyborg. They They won't even let him die. Right. So RoboCop, scary movie, yeah, yay or nay? Yay, yeah. yeah. It's a lot fucking scarier now that we went through yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, there you I, go. Because I remember as a kid playing RoboCop the video game. I'm like, oh, yeah, RoboCop is cool. <laughs> and now that we've talked about it. Uh, yep. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next piece 
comes from episode 58. It's our Nobody Review. And again, co-host, not my cousin Dan and I, go over some of the symbolism in this movie. I'll call this piece Death by Exposition. You know, the protagonist being Bob Odekirk's character and then the Julian or the Julian character, right? Who is the antagonist, who is basically not only the antagonist, but he's the exact opposite of where Bob Odenkirk's character is. Yes, he's he's the textbook foil. Yes. Uh, He is who he is, and he clearly made the decision that he's always going to be who he is no matter what. He's not going to change. And then you have Bob Odenkirk who decided he couldn't be that anymore. Yes. And I think what happens for me, at least for me while I'm watching, is I I think what ends up happening is you have these two polar opposites, right? One who's who's given up the life and is living this kind of repressed version. And then you have the other one who's who's living full blast. Yeah. In the life, right? He's living that life. He's and they they allude to it multiple times that he's like he wants out. He's done. He's exhausted. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right. Because he wanted he wanted out of that money thing that there were Obshock. Yeah, he wanted out of it. And and he he basically wanted to retire. But he couldn't like he Mm. couldn't change himself. You know, that's interesting. I I, rem- I remember that now. It wasn't one of the things that, that occurred to me because the other one got out and the other right. one's still in and wants out. The, the one is still in it. The bad guy is still in and wants out. And, and actually, it, it kind of makes you think. And this is just kind of speaks to, to how well the movie is written and put together. Yes. This movie, this movie, this isn't the kind of movie that makes you think. It's <laughs> no, not. Not usually, but there, no. But there's, you've got this this level of complexity that, you know, you're not expecting. Where here, here's the good guy, bad guy mashup. And the bad guy, want, it, the bad guy is the exact, basically the exact same guy as the good guy. Yes. But he, he wants out of that. And yes. the good guy got out of that and now all of a sudden wants back in and that's what the movie is all about is he wants it again yes it's it's not it's not what it is on the surface it's not a revenge fantasy he just clearly has made the decision like i want to be that guy yeah i miss being that guy i want to be that guy i want back in well, you know? there's there's this whole at least for him and and in terms of the fantasy, there's this guy who's living this this suburban life, and he, he felt more alive when he was when he was doing his thing and, and being yeah. a wild man, right? Yeah. But but like yeah, you're right. They are the same person except they've made opposite choices, mm-hmm. and and even Bob Odenkirk's uh, character. And the funny thing is, is that Bob Odenkirk opens up, right? Starts talking yeah. to, the, to some of his... To the dead guys. <laughs> to the dead guys. To well, the dead guys. Twice. Twice yes, in the yes, movie that happens. Yes. Twice. Where where that's where you start to get the exposition. And then he realizes the person he's talking to is dead. <laughs> and the exposition just stops. That's that's great, too. Because it's like the, the exposition is so boring that it kills people. <laughs> Because they're alive. <laughs> yeah. While he starts the exposition, he starts to tell his story. It was like, well, I thought I wanted to be this. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where like, it's just, it, you, 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 you got to wonder 
Is that a subtle nod? Is that a subtle <laughs> nod to like people want to see action movies? Yeah. Uh-huh. They don't give a shit about the backstory. They want to see the fights. They want yeah. to see the explosions. But maybe it's also the fact that 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 the life is so boring. Yes. That the suburban life that he wanted, that he thought he wanted, that his explaining of it is so fucking boring that it kills people. And it's killing him. And him just telling that kills people. Kills the other. Well, that and bullets. It bullets, but, yes. Yeah, like that. But, but they were alive. They were alive. and Bleeding, then- <laughs> but alive when he started his story. Yeah. And then before, he, and then it, before he finishes the exposition, he turns around, dudes are dead. Yeah, <laughs> and it happened twice. You're right, because yeah. it happened in the house, and it happened and then before that. It happened in the car, and it happened in the car. So, like, um, it's fantastic, but it's just like it, it's again. I think it has something to do with the fact that that life is so boring that it, people can't stand to listen and to it. And the you know, I don't like you feel that sometimes, right? I know I feel that sometimes. I, I was just, just thinking the other day, like, how the fuck did I get to the point where? Like, I actually care about things like average net selling price and see-through margin and, and all these things, like, that that I never thought. Like, when I was younger, and, and you know, when I was doing stand-up, I was like, man, if I ever have to go back to that life, I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And here I am in this life, and I don't feel like I'm going to kill myself. But it's kind of a shock to the system to be like, oh, holy fuck, I used to think I would kill myself if I was doing this. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I'm sure this this movie speaks to a lot of people in that in that fashion. Um, I lived in the city my whole life. All I ever wanted was to live in the suburbs. And now that I'm living in the suburbs, I love the shit out of it. I love the shit out of it. Oh, dude, I. I I, I love where I live. I love uh-huh. the house that I live in. I love my neighbors and my neighborhood. Yes. I love where I live. So this next piece comes from episode 83. It's our Shang-Chi review. And Cousin Primo and I talk about the symbolism in the martial arts choreography of this movie. I call this piece turning onto a new path. <laughs> like It doesn't work like that. You know, there has to be a point where it's like, this is how you throw this thing, you know? Um... You know, this is how you apply a choke. This is how you throw a punch. It's like, no, you know. This is how you move the wind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, she's like, this is how, you know, she's just like, I'm going to kick your ass. And you're going to learn while I'm kicking your ass, you know. And he does. That's the fucking silly thing. Because it's a movie, right? So the dude's like, yeah, I'm picking this shit up while this is happening. He went went from closed fist to open hand slap. Open hand, yes. (laughs) To to deflect shit with the head. So, to... What, what what's awesome about it is that it it brings everything full circle because at the end of the while he's doing while he's dueling his dad, he decides to use that softer style of martial arts, that tai chi style kung fu, and actually spins his dad around like he like his dad was spun by his mom, right? And then at that point, where he like made googly eyes at his wife or wife to be at that point. Mm-hmm. While he was getting spun around, he looked at his son with like a kind of like an aggressive, kind of like a wonderment almost, you know, uh, and and like a, I believe I would like to think that he was having like an epiphany of some sort or basically coming to terms that his son is very much like his mom. 
right like a like a proud moment you want to say not a problem more like no proud oh yeah like there's a pride right happening mm -hmm. there and there's also like a uh he's being reminded of of why he loved that woman right and now he's kind of seeing that in his son and maybe maybe having these thoughts about mm -hmm. how much the woman he loved is in his son and so right so that i believe helped that spinning around because the other thing too is you got to remember in the in the in the first martial arts scene where he fights the wife he's getting spun around right so he's getting turned around he's getting he's becoming he's he came there with aggressive or aggression and the wife turned him around basically he transformed he in that spinning he went from this aggressive person to falling in love to being a family man mm -hmm. that was the that was that was that was kind of like a turning point for him it's very literal symbol symbolism of him reaching a point and then being turned into a new direction mm -hmm. so that's a change for him that was a symbolic scene of him changing or turning into somebody else right right so when his wife was gone that to direct there was nothing pinning him to that to that path right right so now that shang shows up and then does the same turn to him that's where he begins to soften and become uh uh the father that was needed at the moment and then eventually giving the rings sacrificing himself saving shang and sack and giving up the rings so that shang can can destroy the monster save the day and the world but but that spinning is is a symbolic turn of that character changing mm -hmm. uh and and again later changing again but it was because of the of the sun and the martial god damn it's so fucking nice it's so <laughs> fucking beautiful dude. it was it was a beautiful scene it, it was a beautiful scene and there's so much there um so well played um because yeah it, it puts him that turn puts him on a different path exactly you know that and, it, it, it actually the second time around it enlightens him yeah to the point where he's he he, sh he shows that his son has grown and not what he expected but he he's a uh, he's now matured and grown it, it took him by surprise yes it did, it did. yeah i agree because like uh because like the face that he had mm -hmm. it, it it was it was he was it was like an angry face but there was like a little bit of surprise it was it i, I would have to see it again to kind of really mm -hmm. understand what what look he was trying to what emotion he was trying to kind of emote exactly yeah but but there was he was again hitting a turn in mm -hmm. this path and becoming someone someone else or or changing what a great movie what a it was great, great. Movie. it was great this next piece comes from episode 84 it's our Candyman review not my cousin dan and i talk about the symbolism in this movie and this movie is a film and it's not just a movie it's a film it's a great film i highly recommend it the following piece i call we are all responsible yeah but, 
the other the other things that kind of horrify me about this movie is not so much like the visuals as much as the thought of the problems with because not to jump to the end but in the end of the movie we find out that the laundromat the laundromat owner is kind of trying to invoke a candy man he's trying to restore candy man yes yeah. and in doing so uh kind of commits one of the atrocities that these neighborhoods always kind of go through is which is black on black crime mm -hmm. right for his own gain he's he's committing basically one of the sins of of, of a culture like this because i mean you know i i i've spoken to a friend of mine who's chinese i have a i have a you know i know this one of the things that these cultures say is nobody screws you over worse than your own person than your own people and and that's kind of true for blacks it's true for mexicans and, and apparently it's true for chinese so i think a lot of these cultures that are now kind of transplanted and live here in the united states have this belief because it's it's easy to take advantage of someone you kind of know versus someone you don't know right if you don't know the culture you don't know how to take advantage of it and that's i think what happens here is, is like yeah comfortable i mean screwing over the person that looks like you which is <laughs> fucked up. i kind of read that a little differently uh because they go they go through the explanation of the candy man who, mm -hmm. who who the candy man is and, you know yes. going back to you know the original um oh what was what was the original what name the, of the candy the man original name of the candy man oh, man. Uh, you I, know what i wrote it down and i can't remember yeah i i wish i could the tony todd character the tony todd character but they in the new movie they go through all all the history of of you know the candy man and and basically the candy man kind of reanimates every time there there's some sort of horrific sort of basically lynching that happens in in the neighborhood and they 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 bring up several examples of you know um young black men who got basically lynched or killed by you know police or whatnot and then the candy man is is kind of like their revenge on yes, kind of on the 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 embodiment of the horror of that experience and the embodiment of the horror and and, and, and an an opportunity to exact vengeance on uh, basically white society. Like, I don't want to say it like that because I don't, I don't, I don't know, but like, I, I don't want to sound ignorant. Well, it's not, but, always, you're, you're, I know what you're trying to say. It's, it's the embodiment of, of the anger of, of black people, but it doesn't always seem directed at, at opposition or the opposition that you would think, because sometimes Candyman takes advantage of its own people, right? In the so, movies, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and both right. and, and and the two movies that we're speaking of, I'm for sure. Like he he's killed black people too. Yeah, and and he abducts a black a baby. Baby, yeah. yeah. But he abducts the baby 
to become the next Candyman. Yeah. So that's, you know, and to your point, and then Helen takes the baby's place in, in the original. So here's the thought that I had when the movie, the first movie, uh, when I, when I saw the last movie that I had, that I didn't realize happened in the first movie. The one woman is in the backseat of the car after the murder of, yeah. uh, after the police lynch the Candyman or, you know, Anthony Mc, McCoy. McCoy. So they lynch Anthony McCoy, basically, or not lynch, but they go in and they shoot Anthony McCoy, which is one of the themes right. that they're. Uh, they, and they don't even, and I mean, they, they basically bust through the door and just start shooting. Yeah, which yeah. is one of the horrors that, I, that, that actually. I wanted to talk about was is like there are things like that that they talk about commentary on what on 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 what black people are experiencing now like police brutality and stuff like this because i mean you've we've all heard the story where you know woman and her husband are sitting or sleeping in bed and then the swat team breaks through and shoots both of them yeah right so uh this is brianna taylor you know brianna taylor so this is this kind of a, a take almost on this story right she's crying for help she's like yeah. straight up crying for help and then the cops come in shoot shoot the guy shoot Anthony. shoot the guy, guy arrest her yeah and, and arrest her put her in the back of the seat and then she asks while she's in the back seat to to allow to be looked in the mirror and then she would say whatever the cop yeah wants to say because the cop is kind of leading her to tell a different story yeah, forcing her to say this. Was- He's coercing her to to tell a version that justifies the shooting yes. and means less paperwork. Exactly. Yeah. So then he sit. So she's sitting in the car and she starts saying Candyman, but she says Candyman four times. And then the cop says Candyman the fifth time, and then Candyman shows up and kills everybody else. Uh huh. Uh huh. The same thing happened. In the first movie, where yeah, you know the one yeah. person said Candyman four times, and then the 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 last person finished it. Yeah, I think it was the scene with the with the couple with the with the babysitter couple. Yeah, right. It was the first scene. I'm like, holy shit, they did this before. So like, so long as you're present, when you're the, part of it, you're part yeah. of it. Yeah. Which is interesting because you don't have to be the one doing all the work. You just right. have to be there. You just and, have to be there. And, you, yeah. and you're held accountable. You could be the victim and the yeah. other person can get away. Well, and I mean, maybe that, that may be kind of one of the, the implicit points of both of these films. Far more on the second one, because again, there's the difference between one of these is a horror movie. And one of these is a film that's horrific, you know? But I think one thing that's probably very easy to miss, and I don't know if this is intentional or if this is just something that I walked away thinking, is that as this whole situation, the whole um, racial tension and racial situation, and I shouldn't even say racial, like the racist institutionalism of the country we're all victims in one way or another and definitely 
people of color bear the brunt of that far more. But the whole country, I'm not, I don't mean to say like white people are victims. I mean, like the whole country, everybody that's part of this culture and is part of this society is a victim of how this all plays out. We all are. And so we're all complicit in, you know? Yes. And so we're not complicit. We're all accountable. Yes. To one degree or another, we should all be held accountable. And I felt like that was part of what the movie was saying, that we are all accountable. That's a great- And when you have those little things like that, where she says it four times and then he, the cop says it the fifth time and then boom, you know, it, it, it's a very subtle, like everybody is accountable in this situation. Yeah. To a degree, you know? And it's also like, especially in the second movie or in, in the latest movie, it's like it's like what they're doing with the what the cops are doing. The cops are 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 doing this horrific thing and making somebody else the fall guy. Yeah. And the woman in the car was flipping it on them. She yeah. was doing the horrific thing and then making them pay for it. Yeah. And she did that with the four counts of the, the candy man and him doing the candy man the fifth time. Mm-hmm. Dude, wow! What a great point. That's and then at point. the at the very end, the last line of the movie: "Tell everyone, you know, tell it- everyone." This last edit comes from episode sixty-five. This is the retrospective on the Last Dragon, which is an old movie. The co-host on this episode is not my cousin Dan and cousin Primo, and I call this piece "Who Is the Master." Right. This is what happened. He, he he they first fight and Leroy did some crazy move where he knocked him through the door and he fell to the ground. He's like and he falls to the ground. And then he he looks away for a second and he's gone. And you hear him in the background, Leroy. And he turns around and he sees already glowing. He already sh- his hands, he goes, All right, come on, punk. Whoops his ass. And he's like, Who's the master? And he wants him to say who the master yeah. is. Who's the master? So he keeps drowning him and he's having like a flashback of what his master told him and all this and and he's like think about yourself or something or you know pinch yourself or something and the next thing you know he pulls him, all right who's the master one more last time who's the master and he goes i am and he's like yeah yeah and that's when he grabs him and then, and then he starts glowing right yep so there's an interesting thing about the master mm-hmm. all right so like uh, he's on this quest, and like apparently there can only be one. Well, in this not, universe, there can only be one well, martial arts master. Not, not necessarily because I mean, show enough is a master. He has the glow, right? Yeah. Right. So the the master has a glow. So I think what's going on is is well, I think it's a a metaphor for freedom, right? He has to, and and this being a story. This is, of, the, this is the deepest the deepest examination of the last dragon that anybody has ever done i am the nerdiest motherfucker Go, I, I, am love the, the, I, I love it i love it i am the ghetto nerd because because this, this is, is this is the perfect compliment to the very deep exa- <laughs> examination that we did into the thematic elements about stereotyping and whatnot so dude this is gonna go this is this is gonna be taught <laughs> well, I th- it's it's a metaphor for freedom. I mean, it's 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 uh, it, it's an African American 
uh, playing a role that's not usually a role that is his, right? The mm -hmm. role of a Chinese man who mm -hmm. was also at one point an, a, a, a slave in, in, uh, in American history. There was, there was a, a, a large uh, population in, in California that were slaves along with, you know, that were Asian slaves. Anyway, so, but he, he is seeking freedom. He's seeking to reach a level of mastery, right? And the word, I mean, the word master, if he can become himself a master, then he is, he is no longer a slave to someone else, right? So he is, he is his own master, but he's also his own teacher. It's, it's a huge metaphor. I mean, I, I'm sure I don't have to explain any more than that, but the fact that he can say, because one of the things show enough is doing is he's saying, I want you to call me master, right? Yeah, that's that's right. well, that's I mean, that's pretty obvious. He's I want you to call me master because I am the Kung Fu master. But he's also saying you're my slave. Right. Right. But then Bruce Leroy Dude, has the shit. Yeah. So Bruce Leroy at that moment recollects on all the teachings of his master, of his you know sensei or, or teacher and realizes that he himself is a master, that he can simply just become a master by realizing that he is right so when he answers the question i'm the master he is not only saying i am the master of martial arts but i'm also a master of my own destiny i am no yep. longer a slave as yep. a black person i'm talking about as a black person not me black but bruce leroy as a black person is no longer a slave to anyone including show enough who's trying to make him his slave so it's 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 really crazy because it's a crazy movie to put such a thing in, but it's it, it's it's an amazing movie. It, it, dude, it's deep. It's that, deep. But think about it. The also, fact that the fact that you you were able to get there, <laughs> and and you are not stoned right now. No, I don't have to be. I'm already is, crazy. Is truly impressive to me. <laughs> there is nothing that you just said that I disagree with at all. Uh -huh. It's clearly an intentional moment. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was written with that intent and I'm blown away because it <laughs> never dawned on me before in that particular way. Well, think about it. Also showing off is also a free person. He is also his yep. own master. So that's why I'm saying more than one person can become a master. Right. You okay. Know? So, so, so that's why Bruce Leroy is a master. That's why Show Enough is a master. But not only is Show Enough a master, but he was trying to make Bruce Leroy a slave. So um, then they both got the glow. They, you got they, that glow. You got that glow. Nobody <laughs> knows. So anyway, like he, so they, you know, they go super Saiyan and they fight, <clears throat> they fight each other and there's all these sparks yep. and shit, but you know, all that shit is awesome. But, but that fucking line, who is the master Leroy is, is something I fucking, I used to yell out loud in the hallways at high school. Shit. Man. I used to, I used to just fucking yell out of nowhere for no reason. Who, who is, is the master Leroy? You know, who, who <laughs> is the awesome. master? <laughs> But I, just, I, after I saw this movie that first time, uh -huh. I would. Do you guys ever watch the Venture Brothers? You know that. Oh, cartoon? I do. I love that. The show. Venture Brothers. You know how Hank Venture, in several of the episodes, just walks around and like looking at people and saying, "I am the bat." <laughs> you know, like he, he's, he's in, just 
Hank Venture is totally like enamored with Batman and wants to be Batman and walks around telling people he is the bat. After I this after I saw this movie for a long time, I would just like pop around the corner and be like, whoever was in the room, I'd pop around the corner and be like, I am the master. And then I'd like zip away like I was a ninja <laughs> but, for a long time. But think about think about what that does for, for, for kids or, or just people in general when they go around and say, who is the master? And the answer, I am, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yep. it's empowering without yeah. wanting to be, you know, like, because yeah. then that person says, I am my own master. I'm not a slave to anyone. And, and, and it's, it's, it, they don't have to know what they're saying, but it's empowering just to be able to go through that, that, f those, those, uh, those lines, right? This is a bunch yeah. of catchy shit in this fucking movie showing off, uh, I, who is I, uh, I just the Shogun of Harlem. Like, yeah, just, I kiss my converse, kiss <laughs> my converse, bro. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause that I was the other shirt. part. I ordered Kiss. a shirt, a short note that says Kiss My Converse. <laughs> I used That's... to have a shirt of show enough that said Shogun of Harlem. Mm -hmm. And it and it I wore it so much, I wore away the screen printing uh -huh. on it. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's I, I think can't that, I believe think go ahead. That this episode got this deep. I can't <laughs> I, I, I it's amazing how deeply all three of us apparently were, were touched by this movie. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I can't imagine anybody else having, I can't even fathom of having this conversation with anybody else. And it would get like almost emotional. <laughs> you know, like almost like I am the master. Yes. Yes. You be the whole master. <laughs> It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> About this movie too, on nineteen eighty. This movie. This like, movie. People people remember this movie and, and, and think it's silly and laugh, but remember it fondly, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is silly. Yeah. And it totally is a silly movie. But it but it there's that depth to it. Yeah. Well, okay. you know, the funny thing is, is we're not the only ones who've been touched by this, obviously. Right. There is there is a UFC fighter. His name is Alex Caceres. His fight name, his nickname in the fight game is Bruce Leroy. And he's, oh. a, he's a badass, too. Yeah, he's, he's he's a wacky ass crazy fighter. He like throws hurricane kicks and spin crazy kicks and all kinds of shit. He's an exciting fighter and he's a wacky cat. And every time like when he first came out and started fighting in the UFC, for some reason, they, he started in one of the tough houses, which is the, the reality show. And the winner of the show gets into the UFC. And right. even some of the losers sometimes make it into the UFC because they do such a good job showing up. But anyway. Alex Caceres, every time he fought on the show, could not stop smiling. He fought with a smile on his face the whole time. Not with a scowl as you usually see. He fought with a smile on his face and Dana White thought it was hilarious and it would freak out other people. They were like, what yeah. the fuck is he smiling? <laughs> what does he know that I don't know? Well, kind of puts you right on the defensive, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's Bruce Leroy. He's wacky. He's weird. And you're thinking like, what the fuck? <laughs> All the music you heard from this episode comes from Epidemic Sound. The names of these songs are My Flashing Lights by Daxton, Nanda Devi by Ui, 
Overload by AGST. We Come Alive by Waycap and My Vibe by Waycap. Again, you can find all that on Epidemic Sound. So if you head on over to Epidemic Sound, make sure you use my referral link in the description. So there you have it. I know this one came off the regular schedule. I apologize. There's a lot going on, but don't worry. We're going to be back on track next week with an episode on Monday with John Lawrence. We're going to follow up with a bunch of other stuff. We're going to be talking about mindset. We're going to try to get you on track to have the right mind for those new year's resolutions so that's what's going to be coming up for the next few episodes Uh, i haven't figured out how many episodes we're going to do but i already got two in the can having to do with mindset to get you on the right track for your new year's resolutions so stay tuned now if you want to revisit any of the episodes that i have in the past you can go to theflowroadpodcast.com where you can find a complete catalog of all our episodes and a store where you can purchase some merchandise or you can go ahead and donate to the Flow Row Podcast in case you want to give us a tip or anything. Also, make sure you follow me, Edgar Otraves, on Instagram under the name Edgar Otraves, one word. And you can follow Cousin Primo on Instagram under the name the underscore real underscore Cousin Primo. And make sure you follow on Instagram, not my cousin Dan, under the name Dantastic Sizzler. Don't worry, I have all the links in the description so that you know how to find us all. And make sure you like, subscribe, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts at. And press all the buttons that make the podcast gods happy. Thank you so much for listening. This is Ego Traves. Behave yourselves. Laters. Laters.